They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. Finally, we are back. I know, Randy, it's been weird. This whole ordeal of the the double, triple bye weeks, it, it seems like every bye week feels like it's two bye weeks stacked on top of each other. Because I'm just like in my head, hey, we've already done this before. We don't need to do this again. But we are here. It is TCU week and the Heisman Park Rangers are here to break down everything you'll need to know from the Sooners trip to Fort Worth this weekend. I am Ryan Chapman, obviously at Radio's Ryan, and I am joined by the Hall of Famer, Randy Heights, RJ Heights 1077. Randy, how is your week off treating you? It's kind of nice. It's been, you know, it's fun having football around, but it's also, you know, after the craziness of the first four games for the season, it's been nice to have a little time off, you know, and sit back and watch other college football, which is what I did last weekend. Yeah, I uh, I'm sure that my doctors are not happy with me. Went to the doctor today and uh, they were concerned that my blood pressure was still a little high. And I'm like, you don't understand. The NLCS took years off my life as uh a very loud and proud Atlanta Braves fan. It uh, it was good that there wasn't any football going on in Norman because I don't know if I could have handled anything else with all the crap I was juggling through that series. Yeah, I was going to say that that one's got to rip your heart out a little up like they were. Then to lose it, oh, just heartbreaking watching that. You know, I, I didn't have a dog in the fight, but yeah, it was kind of one of those you're going, oh, so close, but yet so far away. Well, at least this time, like I get the Atlanta sports jokes will come out as as they should, because the the city has brought it upon itself. But it's like this time we had a starter and a half going into the postseason, basically, of what you expected from your preseason rotation. Just happy to be there. But yeah, anytime you get up three, one, you are you are miserable. And that's what I was. What was it? uh, Sunday night during game seven? Just miserable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you lose the game tying home run, which would have been the game leading home run. On a great play by Mookie Betts. But yeah, I mean, one of those just, oh, just got to kill you as a fan. After game six, I had no hope. It was one of those, like, yeah, we weren't winning that game seven in any world. But, you know, it was good. Provided a little bit of a distraction. And like you said, it made Saturday a lot more relaxing to just kick back, relax, actually watch some other college football. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets got pounded to the ground. So. It was bad. It was so bad. I, I happened to be listening to the ESPN radio call through the fourth quarter. I think they called four plays, maybe the rest of the Why time. Why were you listening just... to the fourth quarter? Why? Well, there, there was nothing else. On. I was driving around trying to get home. There was nothing else on. It was the only station playing football. So I was like, OK, maybe they'll start just reading off other scores. Yeah, they, they needed to do something. I mean, that game, I. I know Clemson's good, and I think they're the best team in the country, bar none, because I think they've got the closest thing to a complete package. But that game was a debacle from the start. I yeah, mean, good, good wow. old Jeff with a G. Uh, they're hit or miss. Year, year two, moving away from the triple option, you'll have good games, then you'll have that crap. So, And it was crap, let me tell you. Hey, I mean, to put Trevor Lawrence, not that he wasn't a front runner. In a big time front runner spot for the Heisman Trophy in a half a play. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this weekend, Ohio State will return to the fray. That's your Heisman race right there. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, the race we were promised. Because uh, judging off the Big 12 so far, Randy, I just don't see anybody. No, no one in the Big 12. But don't count on Mac Jones with the numbers he's putting up at Alabama. If they continue to win games, I mean, he's a guy that I think was on nobody's radar. I mean, from what I saw happening last year, I was not impressed with Mag Jones. And then you look at how he's performing so far early in the season. I think he's a guy that, especially when quarterbacks who everyone falls in love with nowadays for the Heisman Trophy, he's going to move in there because Alabama is going to be number two, number one, number no lower than number four at any point in time unless they drop a game or two. I mean, he's going to be in the Heisman consideration, but you're right. Fields and Lawrence definitely have the jump off point for having the lead just for the names they had going into this season. And and I think it'll hurt Mac Jones a little bit that um, Najee Harris and and Waddle are probably the two most well-known skill position players of any anyone rostered by Ohio State, um, Clemson or Alabama. So I think that'll hurt him just a little bit. But it was fun to see. And and look, 
there's another young, promising quarterback right here in Norman that we'll get to see a, a big game for Spencer Rattler, in my opinion, going up against a Gary Patterson defense for the very first time. Yeah, no, I, I think Rattler and what he's going to, we're going to know a lot. We talked about it after the Texas game in the post one, and then a little in the one we did last week on the weekend, you know. But I think with what we saw at the end of that Texas game, that second half and that overtime, you saw a young kid grow up. Now he grew up in the game. Now what we got to see from him now going into this TCU game, with what he learned in the game, did he really learn it in the game and moving it forward through the rest of the season in his career? Or is it take two steps back and have to relearn some things in game action to perform that well again? I, I, I wouldn't think so with his track record from high school and everything. But, I mean, that's just what we have to wait and see. Did Rattler truly learn lessons that he's going to move from one game to the next? Or was that just in-game lessons that he learned? And, and I think that if you're trying to answer that question, I really can't think of a better defense in this conference than TCU to go up against, especially with what they've been this year. Um, Randy, ostensibly, they look like a Gary Patterson defense when you start watching them. Mm -hmm. But uh, watching back their three conference games so far this season, what's really plagued them is they, they're great 70, 80 percent of the time. And then they just give up that catastrophic big play that absolutely craters the drive. I, I almost feel like it's the perfect test for Spencer Rattler because he's going to have to play under control like he did in the second half in the Cotton Bowl and make the right decision over and over being patient until they're presented that opportunity to bust off the big play. And that's when he can really air it out and get really aggressive. So I feel like Randy, as far as everything we've talked about, what we want to see out of Spencer Rattler to know that he's taken that next step forward. This is the perfect matchup to see how far Spencer Rattler has come over this bye week. No doubt about it. And especially off the bye week emotions get in check, you know, hopefully after that big one over Texas, and we can see a lot out of him because you're right. I've watched a lot of TCU and on that defensive side of the ball, they do a lot of the same things, probably the things we've seen out of Gary Patterson teams for 20 years, but you can tell they're replacing some guys. They've got some new guys in there. They've got some of the old guys that are, you know, filling in some roles and doing some things different than maybe being more of the focus on the defense and what they had in a couple of years past. So I think it's a chance for OU to take advantage of some of that continue to grow as an offense and I think some things that could help Rattler I mean we're going to see the same starting offensive line but I think the fact that Murray's now eligible and you know you got Harrison that played a lot against Texas and the line looked really good so now no matter who starts just whoever plays the majority of the time which I expect it to be Murray and Harrison that line should be that much better and I think give Rattler some more of that time that he needs to feel comfortable as a young guy in the pocket, even against a Gary Patterson defense. Yeah, and this defense really hasn't been turning the ball over at the rate that we're accustomed to seeing out of the Horn Frogs. Only two interceptions this year. It'll be interesting to see that they haven't really put themselves in a great position. And this is something that we kind of talked about on this bye week pod of Austin Stogner stepping up and maybe Theo Weiss taking that first step to becoming that safety blanket, that guy. Well, we found out this week when we talked to Spencer Rattler, Randy, that that was a point of emphasis from Rattler. He said that he left Ames after the Iowa State game, basically telling himself, Theo Weiss is too talented to not be a focal point of this offense. I have to get him the ball more and more. And we saw that. We saw that came to fruition in the, in the second half in overtime, Randy. Stogner and Weiss combined for 10 catches, including a, a decisive touchdown and a two-point conversion in that overtime period. These are the two guys outside of Spencer Rattler, obviously, that I want to see going up against this TCU secondary because they have the size, they have the speed, they have the athleticism, and, and the secondary hasn't been putting themselves in positions to really pick off opposing quarterbacks. Like I feel like this could be a huge, huge growing day for this wide receiving core and Rattler to all take that step forward and feel confident as they attack the back end of this Big 12 slate. And I fully agree, and I like what Rattler's saying with that because I think when you look at it, you know, everyone's fallen in love with the freshman Marvin Mims and he's had a really good freshman year, but maybe the most talented receiver on the roster. One of them's hurt and Jaden Hazelwood. I love Trajan Bridges. And then the other one's Theo Weiss. I mean, these guys weren't chopped livers. So I think Rattler probably sees that going, Hey, I've got a good connection with Mims, but at the same time, my guys that I can count on right now, 
are the ones that have a little more experience going up against some of these Big 12 opponents. And that is your Stogners. That is your Theo Weiss. Guys with a super high level. I mean, think about it. When you think of these guys, I mean, both of them, when they came in, uh, Stogner and Weiss, they're projected NFL guys. I mean, those are guys you look at and go, they need to get the rock to them. They need to get the ball to them. Make them playmakers. Make them be guys you can count on. And then that's only going to open up more things for a guy like Marvin Mims with that speed. Because at a certain point, that's why you got to develop them. If you don't, Marvin Mims is a freshman, and with that speed, he's going to get shut down. And I think we've seen some of that in, in the last two games. Iowa State made some early impact and kind of disappeared in the second half. Texas made an early impact, disappeared in the second half, because I think everyone went, all right, we know he's your go-to guy. Who else do you have? And that's why it's so big, I think, right now for Weiss and Stogner to both step up like they did against Texas. Well, and not just Marvin Mims. I think that Charleston Rambo, though he's not a freshman, falls into that same category. Oh, yeah. the, the better that Stogner and the better that Weiss play, the more attention that those guys draw, it'll be a lot more similar to the production that Rambo gave you when they had a Grant Calcaterra and a C.D. Lamb that is making defenses sweat all across the field. And then all of a sudden, you leave Rambo wide open. Well, he's going to torch any defense if he's given that much room. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things that, the development of Theo Weiss, if he's going to be that guy, if he's going to be the true leader of the wide receiving core, not mm -hmm. just the H-back tight end room, things like that. The development of Theo Weiss could really be the key to unlocking this offense because we've heard um, Lincoln Riley confirmed this week that Jaden Hazelwood is, quote, closer and that he's ahead of schedule, said with a, a smirk and, uh, and a eye roll almost. But um, we, we don't know when Hazelwood's going to be back. We kind of thought he would be that guy before he went down. Well, now it's the Oasis turn. He's, he's the one that sat under CeeDee Lamb. He, he got probably the, the least run of these highly touted wide receivers, this freshman group last year. It's time. He's got his guy in there. Him and Spencer Rattler have been close through the recruitment process, all that stuff. If Theo Weiss can get it going, this offense could finally, I think, unlock the potential of what it's been, because not only that, Randy, you talk about getting that competitive depth on the offensive line. Well, one area that Chris Murray is really going to help with is on the second level when Oklahoma needs to block up front for a TJ Pledger, for a Seth McGowan, because Murray, when he was at UCLA, when he'd get to that second level, linebackers were going to die like there. It was a health risk for everyone involved in the Pac-12. And it gets you back, it harkens back to the days of when you have a Ben Powers getting to the second level and just clearing people out mm -hmm. and, and just creating massive holes where it didn't matter who was touting the rock behind it. No no doubt. And that's the other part, Murray. You're exactly right. Murray's a big factor to help the running game because anything they can do in the running game, you saw against Texas. Again, Texas's defense was playing pretty tough on the pass rush against Rattler. As that game went on, it wasn't just that Texas forgot what to do. OU started establishing a little bit of a running game. And I know it's funny, Texas brings up, they held OU to 3.9 yards a carry. And it's like, okay, yeah, but TJ Pledger went off for 150 yards. You know I mean? This is a guy that made you have to start defending the run game. And that's only going to help that game. And that helps guys back to bringing up your Weiss, your Stogners, your Mims, your Rambos. Having a running game makes everyone in that receiving core that much better because all of a sudden, the DBs now are on that island alone. The linebackers aren't able to go out and help. Safeties aren't able to play up on, you know, out in the backfield as much on receivers all the time because sometimes they're having to wait and look for see what the running back is going to do, you know, on the play action play. It makes play action legitimate all of a sudden. If you can't run the ball, play action stupid. But now all of a sudden, if you're running the ball, that becomes a focal point of this offense as well. Well, and I don't, I don't just think that, look, um, you talk about TJ Pledger and Seth McGowan have been good this year, but I don't know if you can classify those guys into the same realm as, you know, recently a, a Kennedy Brooks or a Trey Sermon, certainly not a Rodney Anderson, Mixon, Pirine type guy. Oh, no. Looking at the heart of this TCU defense, Garrett Wallow, the, the middle linebacker there for the Horn Frogs, 
I was incredibly impressed with his ability to man up basically one-on-one with Brees Hall when he met him in the hole and find a way to bring him down. Did Brees Hall sometimes fall forward three or four extra yards? Sure, that's what one of the most talented backs in the country is going to do. But Garrett Wallow leads this team in tackles. He is as sure a tackler in the open field as you're probably going to find in the conference. He's that good. So in my opinion, Randy, this offensive line is going to be even more essential in making sure they can open up those holes big enough and get to the second level because I'm not saying that the TJ pledge is going to get shut down or anything like that, but we're accustomed to seeing running backs Oklahoma that can consistently pop that off. This is one of the better linebackers in the league. And I just don't know if you're going to get that on Saturday. It doesn't really matter who you are, unless you're maybe Najee Harris or Etienne running through and running wild. So I'm really interested to see because that offensive line needs to get to that second level. If, if the Sooners want to pop off these big chunk yardage mm-hmm. plays in the run game, I think. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. This line and everything with the running game just helps it so much. And I think it helps guys in that receiving core even better. You know, I mean, if they can start establishing that, all of a sudden everything opens up. And I'm not going to say it's going to be a Baker Mayfield-esque offense. It's going to be Kyler Murray. But guess what? It starts moving closer and closer to that style of offense. You start to see flashes of what Oklahoma's offense has been in the past, if that offensive line can start doing some of those things on that second level. That's one thing that's made, even though I'm with you, Pledger is no Kennedy Brooks and probably no Trey Sermon, but it makes him look a lot closer to those guys if this offensive line can start doing things they weren't able to do in game one, two, and three of the season for Oklahoma. I, I will tell you, though, I may be most excited for the first or second drive because I want nothing more than to see Pledger and Wallow meet up in the hole. Because look, TJ Pledger, though he hasn't really busted off any home run shots this year, he is a guy that, despite his size, all that stuff, will absolutely put his nose down and run through a guy. And just as a football fan, seeing those two guys meet up, uh, very exciting. And it will have me out of my seat as soon as it happens. And you mentioned him being the guy that hasn't busted one off. Look for him to bust one off this weekend, I think. And that comes more in the screen game. I think they really need to get him a little more active because what TJ has always reminded me of, and one reason I've been disappointed over his first few years, he never got in there, even with Brooks and Sermon, is being that third down back like in the old school NFL days. You're too young for this, but I don't know if you remember the Dave Meggett type. You know, you got your power bruiser guy that was in there and third down comes in and here comes this little scat back for the New York Giants. and he, And that's what Pledger, even though he's big and strong, you know, he's that short guy. He's got speed that, you know, can be a little bit like Vaughn for Kansas State. Just disappear behind linebackers in that screen game. So I, I really want to see him get involved a little more in the passing game as well. Well, and I think that Pledger will be on the field on third down because, look, what we know about TCU is they are very creative in how they disguise their fronts, how they bring their pressures, things like that. And I think TJ Pleasure has been one of Oklahoma's better uh, pass blocking running backs, not just this year, but the past few, I think he's been excellent. And, uh, and so I'm really excited because he's just going to have more opportunity, Randy, like you said, to make those plays seeing as he's going to be just on the field more often. I truly believe because of his ability to do the little things when the football is not in his hands. No, no doubt about it. I, I think he is that guy that'll be in there. And the other thing I think you can watch in this running back position game for OU Yes, yeah, Seth McGowan's going to be back for all intents and purposes. That's why Riley said on Tuesday, you know, like he's pretty much cleared to go. But I think what Marcus Major did against Texas, and I'm not going to say he's going to get 30% of the snaps. I don't mean that. But all of a sudden, OU's got a little more running back depth in that room. And if they get in spots, because let's be real, Ryan, some of the reason in the last couple of games they've blown big leads not even as much in the Texas game, I didn't think. I thought that was some other reasons. But against Iowa State and Kansas State, they couldn't run the ball. Now, all of a sudden, if you get in a situation where you want to go on a 14, 15-play drive, just grinding out a drive, I feel like they got three guys that they can put in there for three or four carries at a time. So that's the other thing I think. I'm looking at all the positives from Texas. Marcus Major getting involved and actually performing at a pretty good level when he was the only other guy besides Pledger, I think that was another positive for Oklahoma and what they can develop out of depth-wise as they move through this season. Because with the year COVID, you never know when somebody's going to miss a game, even if they're healthy, if you know what I mean. Right. 
Well, and I think that something else that we haven't really talked about here is this should be the best game from the running back corps as a whole, mainly because I think these guys know next week, Ramondre Stevenson, we think, yep. comes back into the fold. And while I don't expect Stevenson to, you know, come in game one and take 70% of the snaps, I, I think everyone kind of knows the score on there was argument was Stevenson the most talented back in the backfield last season when Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon were a part of this team. Those guys move on. I think everyone expects that Stevenson will, uh, it won't take him much time to earn back those carries. So not only are they trying to impress, are they trying to win this game? But I mean, looking down just one week down the road, these running backs are trying to show DeMarco Murray and this offensive coaching staff this is why I need to maintain my carries and you need to take carries from other guys if you want Stevenson to get on the field there. Yeah, I mean, really what Saturday is for the running back position is it's a glorified oh, tryout in a way to be like, hey, I still want to at least be the number two guy because I'm not going to say Stevenson's not going to come in and get 70% of the snaps right away. I mean, because I think what everyone, a lot of people think about it like coming off an injury. He's not coming off an injury. He's been going through practice. He's been going through workouts. I mean, if that next game next week, they want Stevenson in there majority of the time because these guys don't perform this week, it's not going to be a problem. He's He's got to be in football shape. The only type of football shape he's not in is the game shape. But as far as playing the game, getting hit in practice, he's done that since practice started. So that's even more reason for these guys to be motivated because if they go on average two and a half yards to carry and the line's doing their job and it's on the running back, the reason they didn't perform, uh, guess what? Stevenson is definitely going to be the guy. At least if a Pledger, if a McGowan, let's say goes out, one of those has a 150-yard game just like Pledger did against Texas. Yeah, I don't think the coaches are going to be, even if Stevenson's the most talented guy, going to be right on board with going, hey, let's go ahead and make the change and Stevenson's our number one guy. If you've got like a Pledger back-to-back weeks, going over 100 yards, hey, it's a little easier to go, let's ease Stevenson back into the fray. Right. Yeah, so it should be really interesting, and I'm excited. Randy, uh, before we you know change over to the defensive side of the ball, I really feel like, for some reason, and, and please tell me why I'm insane to think this, because it's hard for me to look at a Gary Patterson defense, but in my head say, as long as this offense doesn't turn the ball over for the first time this season, I truly believe they're going to be okay. Like, am I crazy in, in that assessment coming into this? I, I don't think you're totally crazy for that because I, I think you look at this team and if they don't turn the ball over, Ryan, they're, they're undefeated right now. I mean, the offense hasn't been, yet again, the old school offense with Murray and Baker Mayfield days, but it's been pretty dang good. And if they're not turning the ball over four times in a game, they beat Iowa State. They're not going to overtime with Texas. They beat Kansas State. You know, I mean, so I don't think you're insane for that, saying that. And to me, that's not as much saying anything against what TCU is doing this year, as much of showing Oklahoma, you've been really solid this year offensively. You just keep shooting yourself in the foot. You know, and that's that's why I don't think you're crazy for saying that. And to me, it's not a dig again on TCU. It's more a compliment of how well this offense has played, despite the fact the running game hasn't been up to par so far this year. Yeah, it's it's really the, just that that running game in the third and fourth quarter and turnovers. Like you said, if you can just have marginal improvements on either one, really, not even both, um, the, the the outlook of this season is completely different. And eyes aren't going to be so glued to that game in Stillwater this weekend trying to figure out what the path is to the Big 12 championship. But, Randy, let's switch sides of the ball here. The defense, it really sounds like, based off of what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch said this week, that um, I I believe Lincoln noted that this is the first week they felt like they've been in a flow almost Mm -hmm. because they've had way less guys missing practice for random stuff. And and it feels like they can finally... Yeah, herd immunity. Yeah, perfect. Uh, And they can finally get into their flow of feeling like a season. To me, my ears heard uh, Woody Washington's getting a lot of reps in practice. Eaton's getting in. And uh, this rotation that we kind of started to see in the Cotton Bowl of of youngsters rotating in. And again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Woody Washington's going to be your starter and play 80% of the steps. I just mean that Alex Grinch feels very comfortable with him playing his fair share 
Um, I think that this is the norm that we're going to start seeing, and especially the secondary, Randy, and that's only a good thing, I think, for the Sooners. Uh, oh, I think so. And I think that's something, if you look back to Alex Grinch's days at Washington State, not so much Ohio State, where he's co-defensive coordinator, that, that's what he likes doing. He likes having multiple, unless you have, you know, the all-pro cornerback. If you've got six, seven, eight guys, especially when you're going up against offenses like Oklahoma does in the Big 12, he wants those guys to rotate because, A, not only does it keep guys fresh on the field, it gives them the competitive edge to keep going out and battling every play because you know you go out there and you get burnt once, it's real easy to take him out and put you in, you know. And right. so I, I think that's the big thing here right now. That that's It starts to be, bring in that competitiveness within the defensive side of the ball instead of just knowing you got a starting job because there's no one behind me. I better keep playing or otherwise I'm not going to be the starter. Yeah. And the Sooners are going to need it this week because look, I I'm not here to tell you that Max Duggan is a budding Heisman contender or anything like that at quarterback nope. for the Horn Frogs, but he fits the profile of guys that have burned the Sooners in the past. Mm-hmm. He is, he is more than serviceable. He, he's about completing about what? 69% of his passes this year. Nice. And uh, he has enough, um, just wiggle in the run game to, to get loose. If you can't keep him contained, things like that. So Max Duggan kind of fits the profile of dude that everyone uh, watches after the game and goes, who the crap is that guy? And where did he come from? Cause, cause this type of quarterback has burned Oklahoma defenses the last five, six years. Well, he's the poor man, Sam Ellinger. When you look at it, I mean, not as big and strong. you like, Sam's a fullback that will take on the linebackers, but being able to throw just good enough to make people leery of him but fast enough to run and beat your defenses. And you're right. That's the type of guy. And it goes back way beyond Alex Grinch. I mean, Mike Stoops had trouble with these quarterbacks as well. And and so, yeah, that's the, that's the one scary thing to me. When we look at the defense for Saturday, it's not that I'm worried about any receivers just going off because the receivers are that good. It's not because I'm thinking, Hey, the running back game for TCU is going to be amazing. It's more the fact, you look at it and you go, what is Dugan going to open up? Because maybe he busts off a couple of 10, 15-yard runs. And then all of a sudden, the secondary for Oklahoma will admit it's not great. But then all of a sudden, the secondary bites up because they see Dugan running. And then all of a sudden, the receiver's going on an 80-yard touchdown route. You know, that's what I'm more worried about because that's where they've gotten burned in the past. That's where Kansas State burned them a lot. Yeah, and I mean, this is the guy that, look – two games really because uh he he had the the really interesting situation in camp where he was going through the the screenings just for COVID-19 and they found a a little heart thing that uh held him out of that first game but he's already TCU's leading rusher on the season 43 attempts 132 yards three touchdowns on the ground like this is a guy who is not afraid like you said to pull it down he's not afraid to fight for that extra yard um, the poor man, Sam Ellinger, I think it's really interesting. Uh, is he going to be singing the eyes of Texas alone at the end of this game? Uh, Sam Ellinger or Dugan? Duggan. Duggan. I, oh, Duggan. I, assume, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think he might be, but who knows? I, I don't think he wants to break up his team locker room like it feels like it's going on in Texas right now. Well, as long as he's got the band on his side, he's ahead of Ellinger because you see yeah. that news come out. Today. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw that. I was going to I was going to bring that up. I'm like, should we bring it up? I saw that. and I'm like. Oh, Ellinger, not only you probably alienated some of your teammates, here goes the band going, nah, we're out. We're out. Shout out to, I guess it's the trombone section that has all just been, uh, we're out on playing that. Shout out to the trombone section and whatever the hell the Texas band hey, is called. The band geeks found a way to be on the football team after all. It, so it appears. So it appears. But the, back to TC, we, we talk about the running threat for Max Duggan here. The fact of the matter is, though, as good as Duggan's been on the ground, I also feel like it's kind of an indictment on the TCU running backs and offensive line. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's a matter of they truly are trying to split carries between five dudes, which is just bizarre to me through three games. But I, I wonder if uh, this is the strength of the Oklahoma defense, this run defense. Oklahoma mm-hmm. has been great against the run outside of, I think, when they were truly just gassed and playing a prevent in the Cotton Bowl. It's going to be really interesting to see if Oklahoma can continue that trend of great run defense, which I've seen nothing out of TCU that, that lends me otherwise. It'll be really interesting to see. This will be a great test to say, look, you finally have one of the, you know, above average to average quarterbacks in the Big 12 
becoming one dimensional where all you're worried about is him sitting back there and, and tossing the ball around. This is where you have to believe you're circling this game as, as far as a huge interception day for the Sooners. Like this is where it needs to, they need to start to turn the tide and pull down one or two interceptions to really get it rolling. At least something, even if it's not interceptions, you know, the big hits on Dugan forcing fumbles like they did early against Texas. Just they, and, and it's one of those, I don't want them to make an emphasis of turnovers because I think they can start obsessing about it too much. And they even talked about it before the Texas game. I, I think that can happen. But I think just naturally let it come to you. And this is the type of game, like you say, a one-dimensional Dugan will make mistakes. He's not the greatest passer in the world. He's the guy that will give you the ball just trying to make a big play, just trying to make something happen for that TCU offense. So, yeah, I think the secondary needs to take advantage of it. And you're right on the running back field for TCU. I go with the old adage, though, if you've got five running backs you're running out there, no one's getting majority of the carries, that means you don't have a running back. And I think that's the biggest problem for TCU right now. No one has stepped up and said, I'm the man. Let well, me have the ball. That and the fact that, Randy, uh, we've both you know, gone back through, watched TCU, and I am still stunned how they manhandled the Texas Longhorns, despite the fact that this TCU Horn Frogs team has a literal scarecrow playing left tackle. They've tried like yes. three different dudes in there, and they are all awful. Like, I expect um, Nick Benito to get moved around a little bit, David Aguebu to come in. I expect um, Stokes, Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas. I think everyone's going to hit home and, uh, and and foul up this TCU offensive line on some sort of stint or twist because their left tackle position is yikes. Like they've given up 10 sacks through three games. It's a disaster. And no doubt. And, and I look for Benito, especially to have a big game. I don't know if you saw pro football focus today, sent out a tweet and they ranked the top pass rushers in college football this year. As far as style, Benito, I believe was number two on that list. That's how effective he's been in the pass rush. And I think now, like you say, you're you're going to give that left tackle. They're going to rotate a Benito over onto him. Thomas, they're just going to keep different guys that are their best pass rushers going, hey, he thought he was done. No, here comes a fresh guy. Here comes a fresh guy. Because if that guy's starting at left tackle, you know TCU has no option behind him. Otherwise, they would have already gone to it. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm Grinch, that's what I'm doing. My best pass rusher is always on the left tackle. Move him over there. Keep the pressure on. I I just go back to so I'm watching the the TCU Iowa State game Randy and and I even forget sorry the, I'm terrible with the names but the the starter they roll out there and on like the first three drives there was one big crucial negative play all given up at the left tackle position that's kind of noting down all right obviously like this is where Jaquan Bailey put up his career day I see what happened here the very next drive they put in the backup. He gets beat around on like the second play and it causes a fumble that like kills their drive there. And I was just like, was that the same dude? And I look at him like, no, that's the backup. And it's even worse. You know that everyone's looking, everyone on that TCU uh, coaching staff is going, mm, I wonder if everyone else is seeing what we're seeing because this is a dumpster fire. Well, you know where they're at on the recruiting trail right now. It's like, find me a left tackle. Find me somebody now. Anybody. And, yeah. I mean, so that's why I'm saying you got to put, and I don't care left side right side where they normally rush from you know however you just put your best pass rusher out there every time i would i would rotate hey benito you get two plays thomas you get two plays go just penetrate this guy over and over again and make some plays happen because that that's where this this defense we've talked about it time and time again and it's so funny i've heard some people kind of talk about oh defensive line isn't that good this defensive line i I will still go to battle, and I'm not saying they're all pros or, heck, I don't know if any end up in the NFL, but this is the best defensive line and played the best as a line without needing help from any other position on the field at getting pressure and maintaining a run game. I mean, that that's why you just got to keep forcing the issue with Dugan back there because if you give him time, that's when he is going to pick you apart, whether it's on the passing game or finally pulling the ball pulling the ball down and running for 10, 15 yards at a pop. You ready for this bizarre world, Randy? What you got? I think the Oklahoma defensive line has been the most consistent part of this team, and it's not even close. 
Agreed. In a good way. And, and I'm sitting here going, what the hell has happened? Where all of a sudden, I don't know if that's a praise for, um, you know, Thibodeau and Jamar Kane, what they've done with it. I don't know if that's a, oh my gosh, what's happened to the rest of the program. I don't know, but they've been great and they've been consistent. And I think they've been the best part of this team uh, through this first almost half of the season. I fully agree with you. I've actually gotten where I love watching this defensive line. When you're watching an Oklahoma game, it's not like you're sitting there going, okay, even though I wanted them to blitz, I'm the one that said they should have blitzed against Kansas State. But it's not like in an entire game I'm going, the only way you're going to get pressure is blitz, blitz, safeties, linebackers, do whatever, because the line's going to do nothing. You feel comfortable in knowing this defensive line is going to cause something. Whether it's, you know, then the mobile quarterback gets out and runs for 15 yards, they're at least going to force him out of the pocket. And that's the one thing I've watched out of this team. And I don't know, Ryan, I think it does have something to do with development. I mean, you talk about Kane and them, you know, and their development. I think they've developed some of these guys. But I think also it just shows the depth. And I love the stories you've seen on Isaiah Thomas over the last two weeks. Shows a guy like him. Wasn't ready to play D1 level when he got here as far as at the Oklahoma level. But he stuck it through. And so you kind of like to see that because kids have gotten such an era nowadays where uh, one year in, I... I'm the third team guy, and all they do is transfer to a new school. That doesn't necessarily do kids a lot of good. I love seeing a guy like Isaiah Thomas stick out, and now he's a major factor on this defense on the reason the line's being as good as they are. And it's really cool for guys like that that break out, especially in this year, because we kind of talked about it um, a, a podcast or two ago, but you know, one of the very, very few good things that's going to come out of this year is a guy like Isaiah Thomas has broken out onto the scene. And oh, by the way, this year doesn't even count for him. So he's gets to maintain his status as a junior going into next year. He gets two more years, mm-hmm. you know, max if he wants them. Um, if he continues on this trajectory, you know, he gets to try to keep working toward putting himself in the conversation to get on an NFL roster, things like that. So it's really cool for guys like that that get to break out. And, and you're just happy that, um, like we kind of said, the old problem that that you always had with the Sooners defense is that, you know, they'd kind of come on strong late their junior year. And then you'd say, OK, well, awesome. We've got a year and a half of great play out of this guy. But right. you're finally getting, you know, a Perry on Winfrey who can maintain his junior status. Same thing with Isaiah Thomas. Um, Ellison comes in. I believe he's classified as a sophomore right. already. You know what I mean? Exactly, so, yeah, y- you're going to have not only this depth, but. Everyone that comes in now has a benchmark to say, I have to be better than that guy to get on the field. And that raises the talent level of the entire group. Well, and you look at it too. I mean, let's look at, let's use COVID positive things here. You've talked about how they're going to maintain their status. Part of the problem with OU's defense is they've had to replace so much depth to get quality players there. I think Perrion Runfree is really a good player. I don't necessarily think he's NFL ready after next year as far as if he wants to be a potential high draft pick. So that lets a guy like him be around a couple more years. Like you say, Ellison's still going to be a sophomore next year. And they're recruiting some pretty decent young defensive line guys. So it's not like those guys are going to be gone next year. You know, you're Winfrey and Ellison's necessarily. And then these young guys are going to have to step up and play roles earlier. So in the way... This year's good for the defensive side of the ball because it's letting some of these guys develop and still be around. That'll let some of those other young guys that are going to be high school guys come in and develop, and they don't have to be immediate impact guys. They just have to add depth to this line. So, hey, there's a positive for 2020. Well, yeah, and it's one of those things that technically everyone next year across the country could return every mm-hmm. starter to both sides of the ball. Who does that benefit? Well, that benefits the few teams in this country who can go out and recruit guys just out of high school that can face a 11 guys returning on one side of the ball and still come in and make an impact because their ceiling, their talent levels that high. That helps the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Oklahomas of the world. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, unless a guy is just a superstar and is going to go make bank, 
he's going to be back next year. And it kind of settles you in um, knowing that, yes, it sucks that you may have dropped a game or two. You shouldn't have this year, knowing that you didn't have spring ball. You didn't have the fall camp, things like that. But it's only going to benefit the program going forward. And this is especially huge for a program who we've really circled next year as the year. Well, now Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley can unload the benches and see who can sink, who can float and have a great idea going into next year uh, about who they've got and what what they can do. Exactly. And you want another positive? I don't expect there to be a lot of coaching changes in the offseason as far as head coaching positions. You know, if things would have gone right for OU this year, if it would have been all a normal year and say that defense is top 25, so, you know, say if everything would have been normal and they, they were top 25, there's a decent shot in a normal year. A power five job comes open and who knows, Alex Grinch may take that. I think in some ways you can look at it and go, I feel like he's back next year because I don't know what's going to open up job wise because everyone's budget is so tapped. I don't see anyone doing a buyout. I mean, so it's like it gives you another year with Alex Grinch as well to groom somebody else to take over once he decides to become a head coach or, you know, just get these young guys up and going before he decides to be a head coach somewhere. I just think that for Alex Grinch's general happiness and, and his blood pressure and his general health, this defense needs to start turning people over a little bit more though. I don't, he he might be begging to get out of here just so he could be like, I, I don't know what happened to Norman, why we couldn't turn the ball over. I need to go somewhere else. Someone get me a damn fumble. Hey, Texas, he forgot about it. He's all good. He thinks they're all fine right now. Now you go to TCU and, and, and Texas tech and you come back with no turnovers in either, either of those games. He might be back breathing into a paper bag, but I think right now he's probably settled down going, all right, we're, we're making progress. But, you know, if they stop getting the turnovers again, look out. The man may blow a gasket. No kidding. No kidding. Real quick before we kind of get to our, you know, official predictions for this game. One last area I kind of wanted to get into, Randy. Um, I, I do believe that because of the limitations on the offensive line and because I don't think this is a standout wide receiver group, we may see the Horn Frogs try to replicate the game plan that Kansas State um, shifted to in the second half, which is trying to diminish the impact of the defensive line on the game by switching to a ton of quick passes, get the ball out quickly, and hope that people can make plays. Now, just so that you know, everyone knows, this, this receiving core for the Horn Frogs, you've got Blair Conright, who's come in as a freshman, and Tay Barber. Tay Barber's not a freshman, but he's a guy that kind of really came on strong last year. Those guys are more in the mold of a Jalen Rager that we've seen. They're smaller guys, got that top-end speed. But but the next two guys, uh, Quentin Johnson, a freshman coming in, and then the tight end, Artavius Lynn. I'm interested to see what the Sooners can do against those guys because we know they often struggle with the big wide receivers. Johnson's 6'4", Lynn is 6'6". They haven't been huge parts of the offense yet this season, but Quentin Johnson has shown that not only can he use his body to go up and make competitive catches, he only has five catches, but for 120 yards, he has that, he has that playmaker, that yak in him. So uh, Randy, uh, is this where it would go wrong for this Oklahoma defense? If they're unable to contain a guy that might sneak up on him, like a Quentin Johnson, or maybe this Blair Cartwright. I mean, it could. That's who does always seem to be the type of guys that beat Oklahoma, not just height, but the guys you're like, eh, they only have 120 yards on the season. Next thing you know, they leave the game with 400 season yards, you know. So, I mean, it could, but but I'll say this as well. You know, I think Texas, I mean, when you look back at their roster, they have some big guys as well, and they didn't find a way to do that. And I'm not going to say, oh, again, one game, everything is fixed that has been messed up for you know, three games through the season or two games are really the standouts that looked ugly. But, you know, I think some of this rotation back to saying earlier when I said, hey, it's just the fact it's not somebody's losing their job, but the competition back there. I think you saw a lot of guys that hadn't played well that started play a lot better against Texas. I mean, Trey Brown still had a holding here and there, but some of that's not all on the defensive backs always. But he, I thought, played really well against Texas. Patrick Field stood up and made some plays. So I don't know if it's going to translate to the rest of the year, that being that way. But, you know, you, you got to go on the last thing you saw. And the last thing we saw was that secondary not get beat by the big receivers as much. So hopefully with Dugan not being the best quarterback in the world, 
maybe they aren't able to take advantage of it as much. But I say that Skylar Thompson, look what he did. So well, I, and I, I don't know. And I was going to add that too. You know, even after Kansas State pivoted to that quick passing game, what what still really killed Oklahoma was, you know, uh, Meade getting lost in coverage one time and the yeah. Sooners' inability to tackle Deuce Vaughn. So, um, you, you saying all that, it, it's one of those things that even if they struggle to get pressure on this uh, on Duggan and struggle to take advantage of this TCU offensive line due to the fact that TCU is getting the ball out so quickly, I really believe this is one of those games where. It's as simple as you're in open field, just wrap up an ankle and wait for some help. And if you can bring guys down, you're going to be just fine, Randy. I I don't know if it's just a whole week of drinking the Kool-Aid and sitting back and watching that Texas game over and over and realizing that it really was just the worst mistakes possible in the worst positions in that second quarter. And then maybe just sitting back and being too conservative there in the fourth quarter, but I really feel a lot better about this team than I even did, you know, a week ago when we last recorded. No, yeah, no, I mean, I've watched it a couple of times and I've watched and I'm kind of the same way. But to be honest, I actually felt that way watching the game as frustrating. as It was when you saw them go to overtime and you're like, why, why are you even in this position? Because I watched that game and I'm going, you they dominated that game, Ryan. Right. In the grand scheme of things, they dominated, they dominated that game offensively and defensively. They did what they needed to do. But like you say, dumb mistakes. Now, uh, and I'll say this, Rattler goes out there and makes dumb mistakes on Saturday or Pledger puts a ball on the ground, McGowan puts a ball on the ground, and you give TCU four or five extra possessions, that's the one time I'm going to say, I'm going to continue to preach this about this defense. I think it's played pretty well this year, but they're not a good enough defense to overcome five extra possessions. Right. Four or five extra possessions. Your offense does that to you. This defense is going to give up a ton of points because they're still trying to get all that depth back, you know, that they used to have back in the day. And I think they're slowly getting there, but they're not in a position to go, hey, yeah, we got your offense. Give it, go ahead and turn the ball over four times. No, you turn the ball over four times and all of a sudden you take a 20 possession game and let TCU have the ball 25 times. And that those last five aren't going to be good for you in this defense. And and that's the concern right now. The offense yeah. have to help. They they have to have to take care of the ball. Even if even if they're unable to to get it going on the ground, yeah. we expect. They they have to have to take care of the ball and help the defense out. Although I think TCU does have a hidden weapon in those god awful black jerseys with the red trim and the red numbers that they uh, rolled out there. Yeah, the frog blood, they roll those out there. I think they might be able to lull the offense into some of these mistakes just out of disgust. Hey, is Gary Patterson going to perform at halftime? I hope so. I think I mean, in, in lieu of in lieu of bands being able to travel, right. when ECU hits the road, Gary Patterson should record a nice little five, ten minute set to play on the video board and say, look, the TCU band can't travel in March on the road. Here's what we're going to enjoy instead. Yeah, I mean, come on, let's let's just see that. I know it's a home game for him, but put him at the 50. He doesn't even need to be on the video board. I, put him right at the 50. I'm actually, the Big 12 missed a huge opportunity to have quite the jam Tyler. session between uh, McConaughey and Patterson at, at halftime of that TCU-Texas game. Like, I feel like, you know, one true champion is everyone in the crowd watching that. I know it's not legal, but I think at the halftime of that game, McConaughey was looking for a dispensary. <laughs> he was heading north. He was yeah. heading north ASAP. Get to Windstar, <laughs> get to that dispensary, get back in time for hopefully uh, them to finish he, it off. They couldn't he watched that first half and he's like, oh, no, I can't handle this. Can't handle this. Yeah, no. This How many medical not- cards do you think have been applied for in the state of Oklahoma after the first half of all the games this year? I, I feel like there's definitely been an uptick. I really <laughs> think uh, maybe not the medical cards, but um, some thank you notes have been sent to the to the Capitol as far as the modernization of the liquor laws. Being able to actually <laughs> roll into you know a gas station, get a higher higher point beer, or uh, get to a liquor store quickly and yeah. uh, have easier. Now they just need to get the full fledged delivery. You know, maybe another season like that, and that's when that'll happen. Yes, exactly. And we need to get on the ground floor of that because I will absolutely be your beer delivery driver. I am yeah. game. The stories from that, oh man, incredible. Can you imagine the tips? Uh, yes. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, you showed up with my case. Thank you. Here's 100. Oh, my gosh. You have an ice chest rolling around in your car. So it's you're trying to put it on ice in the meantime. Just like, hell yeah, bro. I got all the dry ice in here. We're exactly. Golden. We are exactly. golden. I know all we right. just derailed, but you know, hey. Oh, hey. The only thing, I, look, I've got this a 38-28 win for the Sooners. I, I look, I was talking with Chisholm Hall and Sam Mays earlier this week, and I, I would just be stunned if the Sooners didn't find a way to come out and win this one. I truly believe that this is this is the week that they're able to turn that corner with everything they've got coming back and then everything on the horizon coming back next week. And I'm going to say this. I feel good about the defense. I'm going 31-17. And the reason I say that, the defense has played well. And I'm not going to say they're going to have a turnover-free game, but instead of a four-turnover game, maybe one, whether it's right. an interception or a fumble. So I feel pretty good about it. I think 31-17 for Oklahoma this week. Give me, give me a one interception game from Rattler on essentially a third and and long arm punt near midfield, and I'm super content. Yeah, I'm content with that. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what you want to see, and that's kind of where we talk about has he grown up. I think that's what we'll see because that's going to be the type of interceptions he's not going to go turnover free the rest of the way. But the key is now are those like you say a third and ten from the fifty? I'm going to launch it gets picked off at the goal line, you know, or at the end of the half, hey, no time left on the clock, almost a Hail Mary situation type interception. You know, eliminate the dumb ones and just leave those out there. That That's what I'll handle out of Rattler the rest of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we will see. It, it all gets going 11 a.m. in Fort Worth, which means, of course, early kickoff. We should have a post-game pod out for you, not uh, not too late after that, we hope. So stay tuned, stick around for that. As always, at RJ Heights 1077, at Radios Ryan, at Highball Network. If you follow those three, turn the tweet notifications on, and you will immediately know the second that anything is coming into your feed. And uh, Randy, hopefully we'll be able to kick back and uh, enjoy this rooster kickoff this week. Hey, no doubt. And let's just hope they win because it's a lot easier doing these after a win, especially when they're debacle losses. Well, I'm just happy that the uh, OU Texas game officially lifted the Heisman Park Rangers curse. I, I was thinking no going, to, going into overtime, one of my random thoughts was, well, crap, Randy, since we started doing postgame pods, they're about to fall to 0 and 3. And people are people are just going to say, you guys need to stop, stop doing this, please, for the sake of the program, for the sake of our sanity, stop making damn podcasts. I, I was right there with you. So thank God they won. And let, let's hope we get a streak going the other way now. Yeah, we would love that. We would love that. But like we said, 11 a.m., tune in. 107.7 The Franchise we will have all of your uh, game day needs from pregame to postgame. The game's on what, ABC, I think. So uh, if you can't find this one, it's it's on you guys. No doubt. And then a night game next week to enjoy on Halloween night. Yeah, exactly. Turn your porch lights off early, stick the bowl of candy out, and let's watch some football. That's right. It's all going to be fun, Ryan. We'll talk to you after postgame Saturday. We'll see you.